which I'm just piling it on here, but this is more than bad news for BTC. Uh, it's the theme of this episode. Hello and welcome back to the Bitcoin Cash podcast following Bitcoin Cash on its rise to global reserve currency. This is episode number 26, ETH and BCH capitalizing on floundering BTC. Today is Saturday, the 14th of August, 2021. Yeah, this is episode 26. I am your host, Jeremy. I have with me here today, Jet, who has been promoted to producer on the show. So we're going to test that out this week with doing an episode, uh, just the two of us, and then we'll try and get, you know, the, the regular guest rotation um, rocking next uh, next episode as well too. But uh, I'm looking forward to this because there's a lot of stuff uh, we need to cover in the last two weeks of uh, news anyway. And uh, yeah, so we've got, got stuff to chat about. Jed, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good. It's been a busy week, so this is exciting. And I mean, first time producing a podcast, so something new. <laughs> well, you've been doing some uh, development, right? You told me with the, you, you got got a bit of React work uh, rocking in the BCH community as well. Yeah, I don't know how much I can talk about that, so I'm just going to keep quiet. But it's nice right, to get yeah. some work in the space. Under NDA. Okay, all right. We'll, we'll wait and hear the grand results of that uh, in, in a few months. I understand it's just the commercial... Uh, the commercial life. All right, cool. So yeah, I mean, first slide that we had uh, coming up was just this little podcast news segment. So totally uh, scrappy setup here. But basically, I'm, I am thinking that I do want to have uh, at the start of each episode, a little bit of an announcement of what I've been doing, because obviously, with the podcast, I'm doing other things like I've been updating the FAQ on the bitcoincashpodcast.com site and uh, this week now we've got Jed as the producer so might make this a bit more of the regular little uh, intro segment uh, for each show uh, to keep yeah keep on top of like what's happening um, you know with the with the podcast uh, a bit of podcast news and then of course as every week we've got the uh, price first up uh so this week, it is a very good week for cryptocurrency, uh, Bitcoin Cash up to $648.66. One BTC buys about 71.7 BCH. So, B, so BCH has risen against BTC uh, a little bit, but BTC is also having a good week back up to like the 47,000 47,500, uh, the highest amount since that sort of uh, bottom at, at 29,000. So we could conceivably be back into a bull market. Maybe my uh, predictions of the meltdown and everything. I hope everyone's not trading based on my advice because obviously so far, uh, horrifically um wrong i mean I, I i do want to cover myself by saying bitcoin cash global reserve currency so you always want to make sure you do have a bit of a stack of it but uh definitely you know we are either in in a bit of a the bull trap as the bubble you know melts down or we could just be heading back into this grand you know super cycle um you know run up that colin talks crypto or 
you know, Dan Held or a lot of these people think think we're going to see. So I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that, actually, uh, Jet? Are we are we going to the moon or, or not? I think we're going to have... Now, here's the thing. I suck at any attempt at trading. I have uh, I have stayed away from it because of that. Um, yeah. But I think we're going to have a very short, like, hype moment, and then it'll die. Because, like, I don't think we're getting, like, young uh, innovators involved. I think right now we're getting, like, more of, like, old school people. Like, I saw Jordan Peterson was recently uh, doing a thing with Bitcoin. And I attempted to watch it, and it was just very um, n- not not my thing. So I expect we're going to get a little more of the older folks that are maybe interested in gold or silver, uh, maybe more right leaning, just for the like with everything going on with the the state of the state. <laughs> and uh, but I don't imagine it'll last long because those aren't people that are bringing any real utility, and they're not like. Uh, uh, mass influencers like I think crypto actually would need like genuine people yeah yeah I agree I mean I think it's definitely like people want to really think that oh we're gonna kick off this huge new cycle or or whatever but I think it's very telling that you and I independently you know we live on opposite you know sides of the world really and also just kind of have our own uh you know connections and stuff uh to the scene and to watching the price and all that and neither of us really feels like the hype is there because that that's when you know that it's really going to be a huge run is when suddenly there's so much excitement and people start coming out of the woodwork what's going on with cryptocurrency and it starts breaking on massive news sites and all those kind of things uh, and it's not just, it's not happening. You know, the people excited about crypto are the people in the crypto scene, but it really takes off when it's it's everybody else that gets excited, you know? Yeah, we had more hype four <clears throat> months ago. Like I was getting text messages from people that I was trying to convince to get into Bitcoin years ago. And they were like, oh, have you seen the price action? But I'm not getting any of that recently. So that's my metric. Like when I start getting texts from people I haven't spoken to in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly, exactly. So I haven't, I haven't been seeing that. So I think, yeah, I mean, I still sort of feel like, yeah, maybe this is a bit of a bull trap. I did get a little bit of BCH. I had got some cash set aside so that when there's a big crash, you know, uh, I'll be scooping up uh, cheap coins. So I, I did get a little bit more, you know, a bit of, bit of dollar cost averaging, but uh, definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm still, still kind of waiting for. a bit of a big meltdown um so yeah everybody can you know trade accordingly you know this is not financial advice do your own research just my opinion but uh that's still kind of where i'm at so off the press let's let's look at the transactions uh that we got here so it's still been you know pretty pretty stable pretty flat from bch about 80 to 90,000 transactions so again probably not seeing like huge growth in the scene like if this was starting to really take off and without there being a clear reason why then that would be another thing that once the price starts really rocketing up everyone gets really excited and starts sending around their coins the sort of activity explodes on chain usually at the same time so we haven't really seen that and we're not really seeing that in btc 
either. And on the next slide as well, we've got the um, cent in USD. Uh, and it's kind of the same story here where there was just this huge sudden out of nowhere, like massive explosion in BTC where it went from 10 billion in a day and then just rocketed up to basically the all time high at a bit over 70 billion. And then it just crashed back down literally the next day. And, and now it's still back in the 10 to 20 uh, range while BCH has been chugging along. And I mean, when I saw this, I really felt like that BTC is, is just, it's just price speculation. That's the only thing it's got going for it. I saw somebody talking about how even though the, the block space has trailed off a bit for BTC and they so they aren't even using, they're capped at one megabyte, but it, obviously it was at one megabyte and then everybody has migrated onto other networks. So it's still now, it's less than one megabyte. There's actually plenty of space on BTC, but the fees still haven't gone down super low. And the reason is because probably the people that are using the chain are the exchanges who want to pay you know, $5 for their transaction or whatever, just in case, because it's actually more annoying for them if their uh, withdrawals are delayed or they're batching up huge orders and then people are like, oh, where's my coins or, or whatever. So they just can't really risk it. So they're just like, look, we'll just we'll just pay these these fees. But if the, that's the only trade that is going on is people sending coins to exchanges um, for the most part, then, you know, the percentage of like, person-to-person -person commerce versus the ratio of person-to-exchange so that they can buy or sell or speculate has become so low, then that's that's where you get this kind of pattern where the price spikes, on-chain activity rockets, and then the price stops being as volatile and it just all plummets away and it all vanishes, you know? Yeah, so... That's uh, that's pretty much where we're at as far as the on-chain metrics. So one, yeah, one thing I wanted to look at because I think it's pretty big for the crypto space is uh, this EIP one five five nine, which is this long anticipated, I guess, upgrade to Ethereum as part of their London hard fork. So it went live, pretty sure, on the fifth of August. Uh, and the reason this was so hype uh, in, in keeping with the, the theme of price speculation was that it adds Ethereum block fee burning. So essentially the idea is that Ethereum has a, you know, Bitcoin's monetary policy, it goes up and it tails off and then it finishes at 21 million. But Ethereum, they just add more and more Ethereum forever. So they would be just inflationary. But the, with this upgrade, what it does is now the every one of the network blocks, whenever people are sending around paying transaction fees, I think it's half of the transaction fee gets burnt. And that's not like sent off to a you know, random address, which is what people usually think of when they think of burning um, crypto. But the network protocol actually just removes it from existence and doesn't pay it back out to the miners. And so the, in a way, that's kind of like everybody who is paying fees to trade on the network is, um, is like creating value or is redistributing wealth to the holders on the network. So because if you're paying a fee and your coins are getting burnt, that obviously limits the supply and then every, you know, the supply and demand, the value of everyone else's coins go up. 
So this was all planned as part of their move to proof of stake. This is not necessary for proof of stake, but it's kind of a package of changes that they're doing. And because every block in Ethereum, which is every 15 seconds, releases to Ether, it means that theoretically, if there was loads of transaction fees paid, then they could burn more than two Ether. So they're adding two Ether, but maybe burning 2.5 Ether. And therefore the block is actually deflating. It's not that it's uh, not inflating, but it's actively reducing the supply on the network. And if most of the blocks were doing that, then overall the network supply would be deflating. So obviously everybody in the Ethereum community was very hype about this because they thought they were all gonna be getting rich, that if they was burning all these fees, then it would be making their own Ethereum more valuable. So we saw a lot of excitement about that. And it's now been live for you know a week and a half. Uh, and there's been 42,214 Ethereum burned uh, as of today for about 136, nearly $137 million of USD in Ethereum burned. So <laughs> did, you, did you follow this, Jeb? What, what did you think of this uh, excitement? Uh, I haven't paid any attention. Um, everything that I see about Ethereum is about like uh, crypto punks and penguins. So I just like, I like just tuned out yeah i mean i like i think that the the problem that well not really the the problem but the view on this that i had was that the ethereum community are, are sort of losing a bit of touch with what made them different like originally bitcoin sort of turned into this bitcoin maximalist like hold and get rich kind of you know cult and then ethereum community got very excited because they were like we're gonna flip in btc because we're different we're the new cool kids where the fees are low and we've got DeFi, and uh we're you know we're not toxic maximalists like the btc community but they're kind of going down the same rabbit hole where now that their network has become congested their fees have also gone up uh and a lot of the excitement has been driven to speculating for millions of dollars on crypto punks and also now fee burning and this block burning uh everybody was excited about that why basically the main reason was because the, as they say ultrasound money so they they really are just turning into btc 2.0 where btc was like we're sound money and we're uh you know digital gold and now ethereum is just sort of trying to compete in the same Thing and the community is turning into the same thing where everybody just wants to support whatever that they can sit on their coins and do nothing and they'll just somehow get rich in this case it was the block burning but at the core it's it's kind of kind of shades of the same thing i think do you know how much f has been produced from these blocks like i'm wondering what the ratio of burn to production actually is I guess what's the real inflation rate right now? Yeah, I I don't I don't have the exact uh, stats on that. I'm sure they are available. I have this screenshot here of some of the most recent uh, blocks. So because there's two ETH produced in every block, it's like there has to be more than two ETH uh, burned for it to be deflating instead of inflating. And in most of these ones, I'm pretty sure it's it's mostly all like. 
0 0.7. So it was not like nothing, but it was still less than the two. And there are there is the odd block that is doing more than than two, but I think it is actually still, for the most part, uh, the blocks are in inflationary. And so and if they wanted to have constantly deflating blocks, that would mean the community would have to be paying massive amounts of transaction fees. That's the other thing too. Like it's not that this money is coming from nowhere, even though if you're just sitting on your coins and never doing anything with them, then you might feel like it's coming from nowhere. But somebody is paying these miners fees and somebody is having a bad time being like, oh, look, I'm paying so much money to transfer around my ether. I'd rather just not use Ethereum. I'd rather use US dollars or I'd rather switch to another DeFi supporting crypto or something where it's not going to be so expensive. So it is a little bit of a self-defeating kind of thing um, where, yeah, they, they sort of feel like, well, we're going to get rich because the money is is coming from um, the fees being burned. But who's burning the, who's paying those fees that are being burned? It's them. <laughs> they're the, their own community are the ones, are the ones paying for it ultimately. So, yeah, I think as far as I know, I think it's still like about um, maybe it's like between two and four percent is kind of the inflation on Ethereum and that this was supposed to like sort of bring it down. So at a big in Bitcoin, it's about one point eight percent at the moment, I think, in Bitcoin cash. And with Ethereum, they were like at four, three to four percent. And then they were hoping that this would bring them down similar to to uh, the Bitcoin rate of about two percent or, you know, and sort of trending lower over time. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't know that there's been a lot of ETH burned, but I don't know that they've necessarily burned as much as they need to get down to that, that kind of lower amount. So yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> just, just very strange, really. It also seems like the oddball block is only producing two ETH, like, like the rest of these are all like a little more. So that's curious. How does, like, so do all of the fees get burned or does some of it still go into the reward? No, some of it still goes into the reward. I would need to look at the exact formula, but I thought it was like 50, 50. Like it's, that's the other thing as well about this that didn't really make a lot of sense to me is that, I mean, I obviously, I love crypto. I've been following it for a long time. And even still reading their like proposals and everything like that, I, I was finding it so hard to get my head around what the hell is actually going on here. It's like they have, so now they have two, they have two ETH produced and then they have the base fee. Now, now you pay a fee, which the network somehow decides. And then on top of that, you can also pay an extra fee if you want which is to try and prioritize yours above the ones that are paying the non-base. Like if, if somebody else is only paying the flat base fee and you pay the flat base fee plus extra, the tip, like tipping a waiter, then you're more likely to get into the block. But I guess everybody has to pay a lot of fees because everybody's paying the base fee and then competing on these tips when previously it was like just a tip, there was no base fee and everybody was competing with just the tip. So now everybody's paying a load of these fees. And then from that, uh, I think maybe it's once you add up the base fee and the tip, then half of that is burned and half of it 
goes to the miners along with the two ETH default. But it might be that it might not be that. It might be that only the tip and not the base fee, only half of that is burned. I, I don't know, actually. I, I did read up on this several times, but I'm still not like, I think there's, you know, there's strength in simplicity, basically, right? So like with Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, it's very clear. It's like there's a certain amount of Bitcoin that halves every four years. That's how much you get for mining a block. And then you get the transaction fees. The users pay the transaction fees, they add up and they go into the block. There's 21 million and it circulates in a circle, right? Straightforward. Everybody can follow that. Like the more confusing Ethereum makes their network policy and stuff, just the more it seems to me that they're going down this rabbit hole of like they make they make something more complicated to fix an earlier problem. And then that creates new problems that they couldn't anticipate. And then they need a more complicated, more complicated, you know. Yeah, I imagine it's going to accumulate a lot of tech debt too. Yeah, so I don't know. But the, anyway, the upshot of all of this was that they were very excited that they'd burned a lot of fees. And then on the next slide, I have, uh, this was supposed, this was like not 100% supposed to fix their fee problems, but somehow it was supposed to contribute to reducing their fee problems. And it's done, <laughs> it's not done that. In fact, their fees are going higher, so... Uh, they were already in a bit of a fee crisis with, you know, five or seven or $10 transaction fees. And since putting in this EIP 1559 and being excited about the uh, burning, the fees are now rocketing up uh, and they're now closer to $20. Uh, and they're even now way outstripping uh, Bitcoin, which they were like historically their fees where they had bad fee periods about the same time as Bitcoin. But now Bitcoin has had less fees because nobody's using it. And Ethereum's got a lot of use, but it's also got still got even worse fees with this EIP 1559. So I think they were kind of hoping for uh, this to like sort of help. And now I'm sure there's going to be a lot of discussion of like, oh no, but once we have ETH 2.0, once we have proof of stake, once we have these other changes, that will fix our fees or we're going to have sharding or we're going to like so many of these ideas and I do have disclaimer I do have a very small amount of Ethereum because I'm interested in where all this goes it's the one coin beside BCH that I have uh, a, you know a small fraction of but the price is going up so that's great if you're not actually using Ethereum to do anything you are getting richer but on the other hand it's just it just seems like a bit of a Rube Goldberg machine where like they're they're constantly praying for the next thing to fix their like fundamental issues when you know maybe it just is the fact that they have a state based model instead of an account based model and that by adding all these DeFi programs they're just encouraging people to make automated market makers that will just fill up the blocks constantly to earn you know a couple of cents of automatic profit and that kind of thing right yeah, I can see that. So, yeah, they really haven't got very far with this <laughs> these uh, Ethereum. Anyway, uh, that's enough uh, shitting on Ethereum. Uh, you got some good news for Ethereum and some bad news for BTC, which is that Coinbase, who are now, of course, a publicly traded company after listing their coin uh, stock, they released some 
stats as part of their public disclosures for being a public uh, company as to their trading um, volumes and also, uh, you know, the breakdown. So in this uh, quarter two of 2021, Bitcoin was only 24% of Coinbase's volume. Ethereum was 26%. And uh, then, of course, everything else was 50%, right? So we didn't really get any insight. I, I would be fascinated to see uh, where BCH kind of came into that list, but they must be uh, subsumed in that bottom 50%. But even just with these three numbers, we're, you know, this is pretty like juicy stuff because uh, if you look at the previous quarter, Bitcoin was 39%, uh, Ethereum was 21%, and other was 40%. So Bitcoin lost 15% share in that one quarter uh, and the two thirds of that loss went into other cryptos and some of it went into Ethereum. And Ethereum is now doing more than than Bitcoin BDC. So it kind of just comes to the general premise of this show and the, you know, the narrative that I'm always talking about, which is that even if Bitcoin's price is still the highest and still like sort of the most regarded or whatever, they have no idea. They're going to get run over like a train just when they're suddenly not expecting it. Because every metric that is not the price is just constantly slipping away from their favor. And as long as they have the price is the highest, they feel like, oh, we're still the king. We're still the most known. But the market is is just changing its mind and it can't, you know, everyone's just lost confidence in it. So here, Ethereum is already being traded more than Bitcoin. And just the general pack, the field of, of cryptos is also just surging at a crazy rate in terms of what people are actually interested in, in terms of, you know, Coinbase are, are reputable. They're not going to be inventing these stats. And this is also real people. It's not like wash trading on like one of those big exchanges where that, well, maybe there's some element to that, right? But, you know, 50%, that's, that's, that's crazy. Any thoughts on this? Um, I'm curious if TechCrunch made this or if we can get some info direct from Coinbase. Um, I think this was directly from them. I think this was from their public, uh, you know, announcements after they were, because they're a publicly traded company. Well, I just, I, so there's a doubt in other, or, okay, so I have a doubt. There's a typo in other crypto assets. And so that makes me wonder who released this. <laughs> good, good, good question. I, I guess maybe we could pull up the link and check, but I'm pretty, I, there's a whole, uh, article like breaking down all this but I, i'm pretty sure this comes you know directly from um from like that this was the numbers anyway came from coinbase uh, even if uh TechCrunch maybe like did did up this uh, this diagram that 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 shows it uh like this but like yeah. i only ask because I, I wonder if we can get a breakdown of the other crypto assets and i also think it's really interesting that like um Quarter two of tw like 2020 was the lowest that the other crypto assets had ever been. And I'm curious, like, what coins maybe they added between those two quarters um, and see if that might explain something. Because if they're, if they're Ethereum tokens, then I think that should just be included in Ethereum. Yeah, that that's true, actually. I mean, I definitely found it weird 
Uh, let me see. I'm having a quick look at the article here. I don't. It doesn't look like there's much info on what. Yeah, what all those sudden um, sudden. Went. There's some stuff here as well about their their revenues and like where 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 money is coming from in that um, in that regard. But uh, yeah, there's nothing about which which uh, coins make up make up those secondary markets. And I did definitely find it very weird when I came back to crypto after being away from it and I looked at the list of coins and I thought, I don't know what all these coins are. And then at some point I discovered that, wait a second, they're not all coins where there's a network and there's miners, you know, like Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash or Dogecoin or Ethereum. And there's a, there's a physical network and there's a community and stuff. Instead, it was all just like tokens on top of tokens, really. So, and now as well, I'm still not 100% clear on how it operates either too, but there's like Tether and stuff where it operates on, there's tokens on several different coins. So you can have Tether tokens on Ethereum and you can have it on, like how is that audited? How is somebody keeping it? Well, in Tether's case, it basically it isn't. But in the case of maybe some of the other ones, how does anybody, you know, keep a, the whole point of a blockchain is that it keeps a perfect track of the supply. And I suppose in theory, you can keep a track of a certain amount of tokens on Ethereum and some on Binance chain and some on some other chain. And as long as those chains are each independently auditable, then you can aggregate up the audit and say, this is how many there is. But it's it's the same as the Ethereum stuff. It's just getting more and more complicated, like more and more layers of indirection on top of the what is quite actually a strong and simple base for a cryptocurrency. Yeah, I'm kind of talking out my ass here, but I also wouldn't trust the Binance chain to be auditable. Uh, so I don't know if any of that matters much with Tether. Yeah, I think Tether's definitely <laughs> in a case of it in a case of its own, right? But I just yeah, it's just so fascinating uh, that these. The crypto industry, you know, it seems it's very, like it's very tech driven, I think in that sense where as a, the one thing programmers love is just adding, making things more complicated and more higher level and more abstracted and more, you know, driven of course by businesses and product managers who will do the same thing. They will say, oh, but can we just add this? Or can we just do this? Or, you know, they're dreaming of this grand future this amazing product that can do everything under the sun, right? Then usually not hoping for, look, can we just have a simple product that is reliable and works? And uh, that's kind of the same mentality is taking over a lot of cryptocurrencies, less in Bitcoin Cash, I think. And I, I'm actually sort of glad that it's still just cheap, fast, reliable payments. Like the killer app is just moving money in my mind. Uh, and in the short run, adding all these tokens, doing a lot of different things. Okay, that might be good to have those options. Uh, and we'll, you know, we're going to talk about smart VCH again there too. But uh, fundamentally, the more of that stuff you add, it's like you're creating a short term or uh, more, yeah, more functionality. But the trade-off is at some point you got to, you got to pay the cost for that. And that's definitely where Ethereum is at now with the uh, insane fees that we saw. But despite those fees, they're crushing it in terms of uh, stealing away BTC's market share uh, on Coinbase at least, right? 
So what's the next uh, what's the next thing we've got here? Yeah, right. And this is and this is not a unique uh, trend either. It's not just Coinbase where this is happening. Um, so Grayscale, who are the biggest uh, crypto uh, like Wall Street investor, I don't know what you call them, fund. Um, they have been they obviously the same. They they publish data on what's going on with with them sort of at semi regular intervals and they have been buying up huge amounts of ethereum and uh bitcoin cash particularly so they have bought up uh in when i took this screenshot a couple of days ago their bch they bought up 15,000 extra um bch uh in this screenshot but then later on they were buying more so I think they ended up buying, uh, according to the numbers that someone calculated on Reddit, 120,000 extra Bitcoin cash, which was then about 35% of their trust. So they had uh, increased it by a full, like, more than a third. Um, Just absolutely massive, like millions and millions of dollars we're talking about here, Uh, you know, more hundreds you know tens of millions at least and uh but they weren't doing the same in bitcoin which is really the noticeable thing that they had actually they'd sold 250 uh btc in the last seven days and uh let's see is this yeah and uh, just over a thousand in the last 30 days so they're actually just trimming off their btc a little bit and just starting to you know buy up chunks of of bch uh which is obviously a good indicator for for BCH and maybe is contributing to you know the BCH rising against the the BTC pair a, a little bit. So I mean the the big money they they only operate on a on a long time frame really. So yeah, I don't, I don't know what it, what did you think about this? Do you, do you know much about Grayscale? What's the what's the story with the institutional investors? I have no idea. All of the information I've gotten from Grayscale has been from other people's YouTube channels. Um, but I think it makes sense. Like, if you're, if you're looking at BTC and, like, what they're putting out, like, what, what are they innovating on? They're still working on Lightning Network, right? They're still trying to get adoption on that son of a bitch. And, like, if you look at Ethereum or Bitcoin Cash, like, both of those things, even if they're uh, kind of hype-driven at the moment, like, I think BCH uh, having the EVM sidechain is good and bad because it's good that we can have, like, introduce some of those Ethereum users. But if the Ethereum users are what you're talking about, like the new BTCers where it's just about making money, then, like, m- yeah, I don't know. But it makes sense for an investment firm specifically to be like, well, they're actually doing something to bring users in. We might as well. Yeah, it's funny because the like this, you know, grayscale trust where they have literally like billions and billions of dollars of, of you know crypto under under management, and I guess a large part. Well, I, I don't know all the details. Maybe nobody does as to who you know how that pie is all divided up, right? Like some percentage of it is held on behalf of different you know, corporations and trusts and you know, some retail investors that somehow got in there with their like retirement funds, buying up a slice of it. And like, 
who knows how the hell you know it, it's all managed but essentially the retail investors are in a very weird spot because they have a massive amount of money and can move the market but because of that they're paradoxically the least i think interested in projects that are just becoming oh buy and hold and we're going to the moon because if you're an individual it's very easy to get excited about that story put in your money watch the price go up a little bit and then you feel like you're a genius but if you're running this fund with billions and billions of dollars of crypto you're not worried about you know paying your mortgage next week or anything like that you're thinking in 20 years time is this asset still going to be around and if it's not I'm, you know, I'm going to be in big trouble if I put a couple billion into something that just ran itself off a cliff, right? So I think the these uh, investors, whoever is making these decisions, Barry Silbert or whoever is involved at the top of Grayscale looking at what to buy up chunks of, I think they, firstly, they won't just buy a lot of crappy as coins that they haven't looked into because they need to be convinced that there's a certain amount of staying power. But on the other hand, I think they also do pay very close attention to is this coin actually going somewhere? Because just a lot of people getting excited and tweeting about it on, on Twitter is not is not going to get them to, to buy in. You're not going to put in a billion dollars just because somebody told you that ETH was ultrasound money. If you're like, wait, I tried using Ethereum and it sucked, you know? Uh, so that's where that's where BCH certainly can can have an edge, and maybe maybe we're seeing some of that here. I don't know. All right, so then uh, just we're just we're, I'm just piling it on here, but this is more than bad news for BTC. Uh, it's the theme of this episode, which is that BitPay. I've been carefully watching their stats page to see when they would release the uh, updates of, of their, how many payments they process, because similar to Coinbase, they've been around for a very long time. They're very well known. And uh, crucially, they're going to show real world usage, right? People using BitPay, they are paying for things. They are using cryptocurrency as a currency. So this week, uh, or not this week, but this month, they finally released, I didn't realize they do it like this, but it seems like they wait until the end of a quarter and then they release three months of data at the same time. And they even actually hide the previous uh, data. So I'm, I kind of feel like maybe I should send them a support ticket or something. Like, can you just publish all the data? But luckily I had saved the previous set of data. So we've got four uh, quarters to, to compare here. And we had the, in June of, of 2022, Bitcoin was more than 90% of all of the payments. And the second biggest was Bitcoin Cash, which was 3%, and Ethereum, which was also about 3%. And there's a couple other ones, right? And then, so then by November of last year, Bitcoin had dropped down to about, you know, 70, 78, 80%. So, it, you know, the rest of the coins had been expanding and had taken up more of this market share. And so then we got the stats for February 2021, where the, the other coins had expanded again uh, up to, you know, about 25%. So Bitcoin was down to about 75%. And Bitcoin Cash and Ethereum had swallowed up uh, a lot of Ripple, had sort of somehow vanished and was all being done in Bitcoin Cash and Ethereum. And now in June of 2021, the most recent numbers we have, yet again, 
Bitcoin is is on the decline and a huge decline down to about 57% of the market share. So all if you add up Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum uh, and Dogecoin, which each had more than 10% uh, and then add, throw in a, a couple other smaller other ones, it comes up to really 43% of the market. So, I mean, especially at this rate of change where it seems like on a quarterly basis, the the sort of the rest of the field is grabbing, you know, anywhere between 10 and 15 percent away from uh, BTC pretty consistently. It you know, it will be the next numbers that we get. The the in one quarter there will probably be over 50 percent, and then they might start uh, chipping away so that so that BTC is just in the minority. BTC just becomes the second most used coin. Uh, Bitcoin Cash is obviously leading the way right now with uh, about 15%. It was as high as 17%, uh, but uh, currently at, at 15% on the latest numbers. And then uh, Ethereum also close at 14% and Doge at 10% uh, coming out of nowhere with, I guess, all that hype of Elon Musk getting involved and Mark Cuban sort of pumping it and all that. But the story to me really is just that BTC once again nobody's talking about this like i have not seen a single bitcoin supporter really being like guys this is code red like our the market is actively just slipping through our fingers all they're worried about is oh the price went back up and maybe we're still in a bull market and we've still got 40 or 50 percent of the crypto market like of course they will as the trusted sort of brand name the price is going to be the last indicator that's going to shift away from them once it just becomes so overwhelmingly obvious to everyone else that another coin whether it is bitcoin cash or ethereum or even just a combination of the rest of the market has taken away any utility that bitcoin sort of used to have you cut out there any thoughts on this one um, I mean, I feel like the maximalists are still going to be like, oh, well, it doesn't matter because it's a store of value anyway. Um, but at the same time, I also think they'd probably be like, well, be, uh, BitPay also has done the extra KYC for the new Europe regulations and like real cypherpunks wouldn't use that. So it'll be like a mix of both excuses, but neither of them mean a damn thing. Yeah. Absolutely, they're just trying to look for any, any. Well, I, firstly, I think they're not even looking at these numbers. Like they're just, they're not even looking at them. That's what amazes me. Like, so there's not. A, I agree with you. If 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 presented with this kind of case, there'd be a way of excusing it or, yeah, saying like, yeah, it doesn't matter because we're digital gold. So as long as everyone's still holding and you know, got their lotus meditation pose with their Bitcoin safely in its cold wallet, then, uh, you know, the network is getting stronger and more valuable. Because they just kind of have this idea of the Lindy effect, which is true that the longer something is around, you know, the more proven it is and the fact that it is stable and it works is, you know, good. And I can see why relative to Ethereum, as we've been discussing, Ethereum's been having these problems they can sort of be uh 
you know, they can sort of say we're not doing that. They can stand in contrast where Ethereum is making a lot of radical changes and constantly trying to put add new bits and bobs and, you know, onto the kitchen sink and suddenly one fee crisis to another fee crisis sort of lurching around all over the place. I can see why they're happy to say, look, we're just going to be stable and boring. And that's something that you can't copy no matter how much code you throw into it is you can't give people confidence in stability if you're always changing things. That that's true. There is some merit to that. But you know, Bitcoin Cash is is in the wings, as are probably other coins, which are like, well, we're also pretty stable and we're not doing anything that radical, but we are eating up the real utility, uh, as we can see here from these payments and consumers, you know, once if they try Bitcoin BTC and they sort of get burned and they switch away from it, they're not coming back. And the same with, I think, just more and more is like people that I introduced to cryptocurrency, I don't know whether they ever get any Bitcoin or they're really that interested because they talk to me about it. I, I send them some Bitcoin cash. They think, wow, this is pretty cool. And they understand conceptually, okay, there's Bitcoin and whatever, but they have no need for it because they want to trade with me. They just use Bitcoin cash or it's, you know, they, they can just see what's actually happening in front of them or with other people they talk to might be excited about Dogecoin or something else. Why, why are they going to suddenly think, oh, Bitcoin is where it's at? There's no draw into that, into that ecosystem, really. All right. And so we've got here, this is an interesting one, a couple... A couple months ago, uh, I'll link back to the previous episode that I did about Satoshi Pyramid. It did come to a bit of a crashing halt, as it was always want to do, um, with uh, several, you know, uh, thousands of BCH at stake. 2,748 BCH on level 39 was the final level uh, at which uh, it capped out and people stopped paying in. Um, so more than $1 million <laughs> was paid out. Uh, but with this 200 BCH that was initially promised to be on the, um, to be put into a round two, so that then it was going to supposed to, you know, keep rolling on uh, with each round funding the next subsequent round. Instead, the developers came out with this very interesting post where they said basically that they weren't going to run round two, but at the same time, they hadn't just like run off with all the money. Instead, this uh, this 200 uh, BCH that they had profited from this uh, Satoshi pyramid was going to be, so that's about $120,000, or it was, uh, it's more now because the price has been going up, uh, is going to be dedicated to building a new BCH app store, they said, so the idea seemed to be that they were going to make some other kind of like gambling games and I uh, well it sort of was quite unclear what what exactly it was going to entail but this sort of new sudden development pot to spend on making BCH tools and games of some kind and then later on the vision was supposedly to expand out to you know like um different different services right so i mean not noise.cash because we already have that but things of that nature that are kind of monetized or cryptocurrency 
variants of, of tools and services that people are already familiar with, right? So it, it just remains to be seen what is actually going to come out of this, but I, I definitely wanted to comment on the fact that it was a very interesting, uh, A, that this, this was like so successful in terms of the amount of money that it raised, and then B, also that uh, instead of just running another one, like what, you know, sort of why change what's working, the plan was, okay, we're going to take all this money instead of just having some of it and using it to fund developers or do different things in the ecosystem instead. And it wasn't a scam. It wasn't also an exit scam, it appears, at least not from the updates we've had so far. So now it's going to be, yeah, funding some BCH apps. <laughs> what, do you, what, what did you think of this whole scenario? I never got your initial comment on that's a Toshi pyramid either, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I think I like maybe went on the site once and I maybe would have placed a bet, but like that would have been like maybe release date or something and I have not paid any attention to it since. Um, I never really understood it. I did see some people like warning people to stay away from it quite a while ago now. Um, but I mean, I'm glad people made some money off of it and I hope I am eager to see what the execution is going to be like. I think that'll make or break my opinion of the people behind it, but I don't know who they are either. So it doesn't even matter. Yeah, the typical cryptocurrency anonymous uh, delivery or not. Uh, cryptocurrency, of course, yeah, being very unique in the regards that on one hand, it does have a lot of scams and a lot of, you know, things that really never go anywhere. But at the same time, it also has such a huge amount of charity and like volunteer efforts and, you know, very good natured stuff that people do deliver and they do publish transparency reports and they do suddenly come out with these like projects and things that they've been working on whether they were like funded or not right so the fact that there was even updates being published at all to me uh meant that it was a pretty good sign but we're just gonna have to wait and see i mean i'm i'm sort of excited yeah to see where it goes because i mean i thought that the original satoshi pyramid was quite a quite a cool idea everyone could watch the previous episode to get my thoughts on that i mean obviously everybody playing it had to be very aware of what they were involved in but yeah given that it was upfront about that and they did seem to reliably pay out as they were obliged to uh, i thought it was an interesting idea of, of harnessing people's gambling instincts to sort of promote cryptocurrency uh, usage or to do something that would not be feasible in a sort of fiat banking system so from those respects it's been quite good but uh, now i'm very interested yeah just because i mean that's an that's a non-trivial amount of <laughs> amount of money like 200 uh, bch you know in one month like there wouldn't be very few uh projects in the space that would have be able to generate themselves that kind of money let alone um you know even like a very big flip starter you'd have to be promising a lot and have a good track record to get anywhere near that amount of money. So it'll be, you know, fascinating to see uh, what projects and if Satoshi Pyramid already sort of proves that whoever's involved at least has some ideas for kind of viral projects or, you know, different competency, ability to code up different things and 
I don't know. So we'll have to check back in on this uh, later, but uh, certainly, certainly a bit of a wild card in the in the BCH scene. You don't you don't see as much of this in in, in other in the BDC scene. So I, I think that's one sneaky advantage that BCH has is it's still got, still got a bit of uh, questionable anarchy <laughs> bubbling along uh, beneath the surface. All right, and then next up we've got this government bill. On crypto, so in the United States, uh, there was this so-called infrastructure bill that was being debated in the in the government, and they were looking at passing this bill. And then this uh, guy, I guess he must be one of the I don't know the senators or the House of Representatives, Mark Werner, proposed an, an amendment at the last minute. Uh, that would make crypto wallets, stakers, and software developers brokers for tax purposes, meaning they would need to report their transactions to the IRS, the tax office in the United States. And so this just created like this huge sudden uproar in the cryptocurrency community for two reasons. One is that, I mean, the cryptocurrency industry never you know is really loving it if the government's getting too involved but uh on one hand you know parts of the ecosystem do feel that they need to be uh regulated like coinbase and whatever it's very important for them to have regulatory clarity but particularly in this case because the uh the the bill was potentially somehow sort of discriminating against proof of stake against proof of work because it was not going to make miners of proof of work coins a uh you know a subject to all this uh overhead and regulation but it was somehow going to make stakers of proof of stake coins so <laughs> how that was decided or who who was sort of what was the motivation for that remains very very unclear but essentially uh brian armstrong made a uh, a, a post on, on twitter alerting everyone about this um bill and and basically said yeah you know why why is the government sort of suddenly playing favorites and trying to sort of put a regulatory burden onto one side of the industry or another he, he made an analogy to say look like imagine if the government just said okay we're going to ban android but not ios or we're going to you know uh, something like that you know it, it in such a young industry it's a bit premature for the government to be playing favorites i mean in my point of view they should never be doing that at all but uh you know in from another point of view, you could say, well, if they're going to regulate it, you know, maybe they should try and encourage uh, one thing more than another. But this, it just seems so poorly thought out and so, uh, so the wrong way of going about it. So the crypto industry came out of this huge clamor, and uh, these senators Wyden, Lummis, and Toomey put in a. Uh, amendment that was going to help the crypto community so everybody was writing into their senators and doing all that sort of stuff and then it ultimately failed <laughs> because somewhere in the mix i don't know exactly how it panned out but somebody wanted to get some spending on defense approved as part of this amendment and then they couldn't get that so they just blew up the whole amendment so at the end of the day the crypto industry did not actually get the amendment it needed and the bill went through with this sort of hor horrible regulation in it. Uh, and so now we're just sort of in a weird spot, I guess, where 
it remains to be seen how heavily this is going to be enforced or interpreted or whatever. But I think everybody's a bit shaken up, both on the crypto side, because everybody's kind of like, well, what the hell? Now we've suddenly got all this regulation in the US where obviously, the, I mean, the, the industry will just move outside the US if the regulation is too too strict uh, on it. So the crypto industry inside the US is obviously quite concerned because the government's not going to be helpful to them. Then they really have the choices of get out competed or to move. But I think it also shook up the US government. It seems to have been a bit because they sort of tacked this crypto changes into a bigger piece of legislation and then suddenly like got hit with the, you know, the force of a thousand swords or something as the crypto industry just all appeared out of nowhere, like making a huge racket. And they probably didn't really realize exactly how big cryptocurrency has become or, you know, how passionate the community is or, you know, how many actually entrenched interests and different things there was going on. This is not just like, I mean, now it is a, you know, trillion dollar industry plus. So there's a lot of people involved in the US being a big, big country. You know, there's a lot of ways that's, that's tied into everything. So I think they were also a bit shaken up. Like in the end, it didn't uh, turn out in crypto's favor, but I'm sure they won't be, you know, making any hasty moves next time in terms of just just putting in any crypto stuff with without expecting to get like a public public reaction do you follow this uh drama what do you, what did you think about this i saw a couple threads on twitter when it hit uh not being american i decided to not pay too much attention to it um i'm so interested in how they're defining wallets like because like there's so many different types of wallets too whether they be spv or custodial or non-custodial and then like i don't know I, even u.s developers like just just encouraging people towards uh black or gray market solutions isn't necessarily a bad thing overall but i think they're shooting themselves in the foot by doing this especially being a an international industry like what was the end goal here yeah, I mean, I sort of my takeaway from from this, I, I think it was very interesting that a lot of uh, critics of sort of the crypto industry, uh, they kind of do their little victory lap where they come out of the woodwork as crypto is getting regulated and say, ha ha, you guys all try and put, put off that you're so anti-government and you're so resistant and you're fighting the system and stuff like that. And you'll be fine even if the government tries to take you down. But then, you know, one line goes into a piece of legislation somewhere and suddenly you're all in a huge panic. And I think what the what the sort of critics are, are missing is that the, the crypto, there's a, there's a big spread in the crypto industry. You know, there are uh, more sort of underhanded, uh, you know, anarchist elements to it. And there are the more elements that are trying to sort of play by the rules and, and toe the line. Like, for instance, Coinbase, you know, they're a big regulated public company. They can't really afford to be trying to sort of wiggle around any uh, legislation or, or anything like that. But, the, you know, it's a big it's a big pond, right? And there's a, a bit of everything. And so people like Brian Armstrong, who's just trying to represent crypto, you know, in the in the government sort of sphere of influence and 
you know, encourage leaving the door open for that innovation and consumer choice and 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 whatever. If the critics are suddenly saying, "Ha, Brian Armstrong, see, it was all like it was all a fraud. You're actually not that resistant to government." I think what they don't realize, but that he definitely realizes, is that if the government starts shutting off the legitimate uh, sort of pathways, then basically the you know the response will will, will be you know to swing the pendulum the other way that people will just relocate into other countries or they'll find other ways around being compliant or uh you know they'll develop some new you know technologies or some way to sort of stay ahead of the game right and turn it into a bit of a whack-a-mole from the from the regulators who ultimately are, are quite slow not only because it takes them time to figure out these amendments and do whatever and then pass them but then to enforce it and then by the time they've done that the industry's moved on you know so they they're constantly like behind the behind the game here and i think yeah it's a bit myopic for many of the <laughs> critics who felt like oh look at the crypto industry they think they're so against the government but then they're panicked by the government it's really like well a certain section of it is i mean for me i i feel yeah like really the the solution to a lot of this stuff is if the us just wants to shoot itself in the foot then other that's to other countries advantage somewhere should be thinking well let's introduce some friendly crypto regulation and and we'll get more more companies into into our country and under our regulations you know and that ultimately crypto has to be a grassroots thing so spreading it peer to peer among the people all over the world not just in the US but everywhere probably especially not in the US uh under this kind of regime does help to then make sure that that other areas will be able to pick up the slack in terms of being able to provide a, an environment for for cryptocurrency also interesting to see like how el salvador el salvador has taken a like the opposite approach it seems and they're like politically a shit on country like and for good reason but just interesting yeah exactly it's all all freedom in the land of the u.s until suddenly it's actually not that much freedom and it's all i mean it's the el salvador case is definitely a strange one because the uh in that case it's you know supposedly quite like an authoritarian type of setup and even the way they did crypto was like you have to use it like it's not we're gonna just like the the best thing for cryptocurrency is to be given regulatory clarity that it's not going to be banned, but there's not going to be a lot of other, you know, uh, rules or there's not going to be a lot of, um, you know, mandates or anything, right? So El Salvador is just a weird case because it was like, well, we're going to make cryptocurrency legal, but then we're also going to force you to use it. And I, well, well, we're going to have to wait and see if more information kind of comes out on the ground. But it seems like so far the polls that I've seen that, information that has been coming out has been people in El Salvador are actually quite against it. Like some of them like it, but some of them are also like, look, I don't want to accept Bitcoin payments. So I don't know why you're forcing me to do this. This doesn't make any sense. And it's hard for something to catch on if the actual hearts and minds of the people on the ground are sort of against it. So then it's very the opposite of, of crypto. So yeah, once again, I think, you know, Bitcoin cash really needs to just take advantage of this by, grassroots adoption basically spreading to places where people need it and 
getting them to use it, you know, voluntarily. Ultimately, that's a system that is far more resilient than any uh, kind of mandated compliance to use a cryptocurrency or alternatively any, uh, it's also resilient against the government putting in all these controls and rules and, and regulation because the people will dispute that and, uh, you know, that filters around throughout society if if they're being, you know, banned or regulated on things that, that don't make any sense and they know because of their own personal experience. All right, cool. So last, uh, last major news item uh, this week was Smart BCH providing an update on the bridge. So Smart BCH, the Ethereum virtual machine sidechain to Bitcoin Cash, put out a uh, uh, update uh, where they said they are going to be building a decentralized bridge, which would basically allow you to swap your uh, regular Bitcoin Cash onto their smart chain to use all their apps and stuff and then be able to swap it back once you're finished. Um, so this is called Shargate, uh, obviously like SHA-256, the mining um, algorithm. And they said this Shargate would be decentralized, non-custodian, minor supervised, and fully implemented with Bitcoin Cash's script bytecode. It does not require any consensus change of Bitcoin Cash, nor rely on operators' honesty for asset security. So I guess that's really kind of uh, good good news. That's basically exactly what you'd want, which is that supposedly, uh, or according to this update at least, they can make it work without needing to get an, a network upgrade to support it, because if there was any need for that, then suddenly the you know, battle lines would start being drawn and people would have to, you know, debate the merits of that and, um, you know, technical solutions and whatever. But if if the existing system is is fine for them to do what they want, that's great news. And also if it's non-custodial or it's auditable or something so that people are not uh, being, you know, it doesn't rely on any trust, that's the whole point of cryptocurrencies, that it's like trustless, then that's obviously exactly what you want to see. So there's no... Um, you know, no time frame given for when exactly this might be kind of ready to go. Uh, but they, they've claimed that they're working on it and it's going to be coming out soon. So in the meantime, they uh, announced that they would be doing a centralized bridge uh, with the cooperation of CoinFlex, which is a really awesome Bitcoin cash-friendly exchange. And so essentially, they're going to make this Shargate thing. But in the meantime you will be able to sort of deposit your BCH onto CoinFlex, who will then lock it up uh, with their own multi-sig wallets and different things and cooperate with Smart BCH to allow the unlocking of these uh, BCH onto the onto the different chains. So, yeah, I don't know if you saw this, uh, Jet. What, what did you think about, about this one? Uh, I saw it. Um, I'm eager for it, but I don't really know anything about it and i'm waiting for that first thing to get released so i can screw around with it i don't know if i really want it i haven't used coinflex i don't know if i want to make another exchange account to tinker so i'll wait a little bit yeah we might be waiting on the uh decentralized exchange and i think one thing that i found kind of odd about this 
announcement was I, I'm actually quite happy to see. This. It seems like a pretty sensible plan of attack to me that the um, you know we're trying to get to a decentralized bridge, which is quite a difficult thing to do, both you know sort of technically and conceptually. So that's going to take a little while, and in the meantime, we're going to do a sort of centralized bridge so that we can at least get the ball rolling, and for people who want to be involved or use that system, they can they can start things in that way. But I've sort of seen like the community was a kind of a bit down on this on all aspects of this because it seems like it's kind of impossible to please everyone. Because I saw comments, some people made comments that were kind of like but why are we doing a centralized bridge? Like, can't we just have the decentralized one straight away? And if we put in a centralized one, won't things start working that way? And then, you know, like that will create sort of inertia and then we will never get to a decentralized bridge. So people didn't really have a lot of faith that that decentralized bridge was necessarily going to arrive. And then some people were sort of like, well, why did they even release smart BCH at all? Why didn't they just wait until they had you know, they had the decentralized bridge and they had the whole main net operating and they had everything ready to go before they released any of this because uh, why are they, you know, they sort of annoyed to be hearing announcements that are like, you know, updates in, in small chunks rather than like, but if I can't use it, then what's the point, uh, you know, is what some people kind of think. And then other people were sort of like, why is this taking so long? Like, can't we have all of this already? It should be there. Like, what, what about, uh, you know, so some people wanted to have no updates and give them time to just get it done and then come back and report. And some people wanted more updates and it all to be released today. So between all these points of view, there's just a broad spectrum of kind of dissatisfaction when, from my point of view, they're doing a great job. Like, there's no... We don't necessarily have a, a time frame, but like we were just talking about with Satoshi Pyramid, getting updates is a good thing. If you're getting updates and transparency, that's great. If we have to start with uh, a centralized bridge, well, sometimes that's how you got to do it. You know, the reality is of software development is that you, the way to have a disaster is to release things all in one big grand release that everybody then piles into and uncovers these problems. It's actually very sensible to segment things up into smaller chunks and just release them, you know, piece by piece and make sure each is tested and working before you move on to the next one. It seems completely logical to me. So I don't, I don't really know why the community was so, was so upset about this. I just hope we don't get to a point where it's like we're in integration hell. But aside from that, I, I mean, like, didn't they do a flip starter as well? Yeah, I think they got a thousand BCH, maybe. Yeah, so if I were an investor, I might have something to say, but not my money. They seem to be doing all right. <laughs> it's always the best flip starters that you are not funding. So then it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all upside basically. If it doesn't deliver, well, that's fine. But if it does, well, good, good that the community uh, kind of funded it, right? So yeah, I, I, again, it sort of remains to be seen. Like nobody's saying that this is you know, the nirvana that we've reached with Smart BCH. But it is rolling out. We are getting updates and uh, software seems like it, it's on the way. You know, there's been source code published. There's been a lot of stuff. So I think, you know, it's not vaporware at the very least, it seems. And the, the team seems to be working hard on it. So I'm very happy to let them uh, crack on with it. And, uh, yeah, anybody who is 
uh, dissatisfied in the community. I think just just like relax, just let it uh, let it play itself out a little bit more. You know, it'll 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 be it'll be ready when it's ready and uh it's good that we've got it happening kind of at all i i'd say right so yeah that uh brings us to our last little segment of the podcast this week we got meme of the week so this is just uh filling in the theme of the the week and also just because i particularly like these kind of memes so it's the uh anakin and padme one comes from uh, Michael 10 on, on Reddit. So Anakin uh, starts off with, I'm going to enable Bitcoin Core to be scalable for all of hum- human, all of humanity, I guess, with the Lightning Network. And then uh, Padme's, it's Padme, right? Not Queen Armadale? I, I don't know. Maybe my knowledge of Star Wars. Anyway, whatever, and it, Princess, whoever it is, uh, in 18 months, right? And then Anakin gives us a look and she's like, oh, in 18 months, right? And that's pretty much what it is, right? Like Lightning Network had its memes about it was going to be ready in 18 months. That started in 2015. It's 2021, six years later. It's still kind of a bit broken and not really working that well. Um, Gabriel from firstmill.com, he did a, actually a really good demo of that. You can check out a video he recently did where he showed all these lightning wallets and said, look, just send me one cent. And then he showed a Bitcoin cash wallet. And just obviously, I mean, his audience was all Bitcoin cash people. So of course they were the ones donating, right? But the lightning network community could have banded together and put out the word and all sent him in one cent each to prove that it was so viable, but they didn't really do that. So uh, the, you know, he was having problems with the invoices and different wallets and it's just like still a mess, right? Bitcoin cash is simple and it works. And yeah, BDC are running out of time, you know, if they're going to keep messing about with, with this stuff. Coinbase volume is moving away from them. Grayscale is moving away from them. BitPay payments is moving away from them. Other projects are innovating. You know, Ethereum's got ETH 2.0. They've been doing their London hard fork, all that stuff. BCH has got smart BCH. Just... Just bad news for, for BDC, I think. Uh, that seems like a bit of a sinking ship um, from my point of view, you know. All right. And last uh, thing for the for the week is the message to the community. So I guess, uh, I, I, you know, usually we let the guests uh, fill, fill this one in, but you, you kind of had uh, had some thoughts last week. Jess. So I'm thinking that for this, this week, it's going to be my message to the community. What do I want to say to the community? I think, I think things are looking up. I think we're going to see a massive, I mean, I keep saying like six, 12, 24 months. And I think there's going to be a huge growth in the scene in that, in that time, you know, there hasn't been a lot of momentum or, you know, problems starting up about uh, forks and about different things. And I think the Bitcoin cash community from what I've observed is starting to find it's, it's, it's like water dripping onto a, a mountain. Uh, and that's, you know, it's sort of this unseen uh, force where it just finds its way into all the little cracks. And, and that's how it, you know, suddenly grows in strength without anybody really noticing what's going on. And uh, in, you know, just all around the world, it seems like Bitcoin Cash is sort of making 
uh, inroads in, in Nigeria and in South America and Venezuela and in Colombia and in Australia, it's just always kind of ticking along. And then in Japan, there's a big community there and like Smart BCH is uh, looking to get rolling. Noise.cash is doing great at the moment. Like the BCH volume has been pretty good. And if the price spikes up, all that means is either we spike against BTC, in which case we're suddenly having resources as a community relative to them, or even if both coins spike, that just you know means more resources to the crypto community as a whole relative to you know fiat and governments and all that stuff. So I think all of those things are just just looking really strong for the community, and I think uh, the unseen hand of the market is, is going to really uh, start to work its magic, given that the community is in sort of a peaceful, cooperative state. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next uh, little while, and, and I'm sure we'll see some 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 good results out of that. Any any thoughts, mate? It sounds like a big change from calling the uh, the cryptocalypse like or <laughs> a couple episodes ago. Yeah, true, true. I still feel like Tether, you know, could could definitely melt down. I mean, it's really a question of like, how long can this, this scam go on for really, right? They, in fact, they did it, they did, they printed up a little bit more this week, they printed out another billion or so. So that undoubtedly was contributing to the to the rise uh, as well. I mean, really, you know, so it's just kind of a case of like, can things kick off? without the industry melting down, you know, without the melting down or like even just this, um, this regulation, you know, happening in terms of the, uh, the like US infrastructure bill and like all that sort of stuff. Like that's the kind of thing is the, the government there is busy creating all these regulations or whatever. Then if Tether blows up, they're going to have a whole new mess on their hands that they're completely unprepared for or distracted with or whatever, like, it's just going to be one thing after another. Like every one of these disasters is is a disaster for the crypto community, but it's also a disaster for whoever's trying to keep a track of what's what's going on, uh, really. So yeah, I mean, I still think Tether's going to blow up, and it's really just comes down to do we get another run and then Tether blows up after that, or does Tether blow up first and kind of preempts the run and and puts the whole industry back in the dumps. But it's also hard to know, like it could blow up and maybe it, I, I, okay, I don't really believe that it wouldn't be that much of a big deal. It would be a pretty fucking massive deal if it did blow up. But, uh, you know, the BCH community, you know, doing charity in South Sudan, you know, spreading adoption around the world, like noise.cash in the Philippines, all those things, that's all independent of Tether, uh, whereas coins that are just excited about the price going up like bitcoin or like ethereum well their party just ends if all this money just vanishes out of the scene and suddenly the price dips right uh so yeah i suppose i, I kind of want to clarify that i'm optimistic about bch because i see real growth in the in the technology and in the community and the price can be a cherry on top provided tether doesn't blow it all up but it's not reliant on that so i think that's uh 
that's where things are. But so far, uh, my predictions are aging terribly. I mean, very short time frame, but they're definitely, uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm completely open about that. So, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll be right in the end, but uh, <laughs> so far, the, uh, the bulls and who are just saying, oh, it's all tether fud. Well, they're, they're definitely coming up, coming up good so far. So, yeah, another week in cryptocurrency, never, never boring. Right. So that's pretty much the end of the show there. Uh, slides and resources, as always, are at bitcoincashpodcast.com. Like I said, I started writing up some FAQs. I figured my strategy is going to be to see what questions people ask on Reddit uh, when some new user comes in and says, but what about this? Then usually I write them a response. So now I'm going to start uh, using those as inspiration to build up a bit of an archive on the site that has the top, you know, 100 questions that everyone always asks when they get into cryptocurrency. So that might be useful for people who, you know, their friends or family are getting interested. Maybe they want to have a look at that. Um, donations, as always, uh, you know, people can donate to the show. And thank you very much to everybody who has donated uh, in the last week or at any point. Uh, it's been absolutely uh, amazing. And for this week, my shout out on top of that as well is going to go to prompt.cash because I've been really enjoying uh, using their service. I might yeah, try and get um, some of the team from that on the show at some point because that, that's been really cool and, and being able to uh, sell the show, you know, early access for, for just a, a dollar or so in, in Bitcoin cash trustlessly, you know, it all just works really nicely and that that's the future, you know, it's, it's so cool to have income you know, in uh, in Bitcoin Cash and expenses in Bitcoin Cash, and there's just no fiat. It's just I'm already living in the future. You know, it's uh, it's it's amazing. So yeah, that's it. Any any final words yet? If my orders on purse are still active, you should go hunt them down and purchase them for me. That would be fantastic. <laughs> You'll get yeah. some Bitcoin Cash for it. Everyone get involved on purse.io. I actually need to uh, get get some stuff on purse as well myself this week. So yeah, anybody with spare Amazon gift cards or I don't know, can you even, I guess you can just take fiat and buy Amazon gift cards and then end up with like BCH in a kind of roundabout way that way too, actually. So uh, yeah, anybody who's interested and wants to buy stuff on Amazon, pay, pay with Bitcoin Cash, use purse.io and anybody who's got Amazon gift cards and you think, hell no, I want some crypto, then uh, check that out too. All right, that will do it for the episode. So thanks for listening and until next time. Future dollars can buy nothing for you.